It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 45. And welcome back to this episode of It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, where we look at pro wrestling history from 1870 to 1920, but sometimes we range into 1930 and beyond, and we're definitely going to do that today. And joining me as usual is my cousin Dangerous Dan, and we don't have any of the marks to smarten up today. Trey and Caleb have uh, pulled a no-show and decided they weren't going to be on the podcast today. Um, so I think it's just you and me holding down the fort today. So. All right. And I had announced on the last episode, the solo episode I did to talk about the new book. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That I was making books available uh, on audiobook. And I've got an announcement about that uh, next week, something I've discovered. And doing that is making me do something different. But because our oh, top, okay. our, our update, our news, our whatever you want to call it is so serious this week, I wasn't mm. going to delve into that too much. Because okay. I wish we didn't have to talk about this subject. But, I, you know, right. if, <laughs> being a pro wrestling history podcast, I don't think anybody can ignore the scandal that's going on right now with Vince McMahon. Uh, his tall drink of water walk behind her doofus John Laronitis mm-hmm. and uh, and snared Brock Lesnar as well. But last week news broke about a horrible um, case of sexual harassment, sexual assault mm-hmm. that has gone on in the WWE for what a year. Yeah, maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe two years it went on, and the um, victim has come forward and sued Vince and the company for the horrific treatment she had. And the seventy-page indictment is pretty eye-opening with all the things they're alleged to have done. Mm-hmm. So, since I'm sure you didn't hear last week's episode, um, what I said was if even 5% of that was true, mm-hmm. Vince should never show his face in public again. Oh, absolutely. Um, and if a lot more of that is true, both he and John Laronitis not only should be sued civilly, but they should be charged criminally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be put far so far back that they'll have to pump in air light and some uh, light to them. I mean, I think Vince has displaced Stalin and Hitler oh. on the all-time most hated list. Well, he's got a worse mustache than both of them. So. Yeah. Um, I had said last week, and this is definitely where I wanted to get your opinion too. Mm-hmm. I have always had mixed feelings about Vince because Vince destroyed the professional wrestling I loved. Yeah. I liked the NWA style territory wrestling mm-hmm. of the 1980s. Yeah. And 70s and for that matter. Yeah. But... You know, that's I started watching in 79. My sister started taking me to the matches in 81. That was the kind of stuff that, that I enjoyed. But I also respected Vince as a businessman and a promoter because he got his garbage over. It was cartoon wrestling. He got it yeah. over. Mm-hmm. And he has had the most successful national promotion there's ever been. There were really, well, there were and there weren't national promotions before Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of a natural national trust in the 19-teens and 1920s. Yeah. There was never really a national promotion. And it really wasn't 
possible until the advent of cable television mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. So to me, Vince is a mixed bag at best, but any respect I had for him is gone after hearing about all of this. Stuff. Right. Well, uh, you know that I never liked Vince McMahon. Never had, I wouldn't walk across the street to urinate on him if he was on fire. Uh, but now after what happened and what he did, um, I, like you said, I've lost every ounce of respect that I had for the man. He was, you know, he was what he was. He mm-hmm. was able to take a fledgling territory business turn it into a wrestling superpower. It was cartoony, yes. But he had some uh, he had some really good wrestlers in there at, that, at the that came from the territories. Yes. Uh, Paul Orndorff was fantastic. Oh yeah. He came from the territories. Mhm. And that's why I said he kind of went around and he kind of uh Remember when he pretty much will dismantle the AWA? Yeah, he just took all their talent. Yeah. He took their B and C team announcers that nobody really wanted to listen uh, he, to. They took Gene Okerlund. I mean... Well, Gene was an A announcer compared to well, Ken Resnick, yeah. Rod Trongard. Um, the only one they left him was... Who's the that, the guy with the beard that made all the funny noises when he was announcing? Was that Larry... Larry... Uh, no, oh, yeah... Um, was it Larry Wilson? No. No. Larry, uh, take it back to you, Larry. Yeah. And, oh, geez, what was his name? That's the only guy Vince didn't take. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. Um, but, I mean, he took everybody. And uh, lots of bland announcers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, one thing that um, maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised to see... Vince's true colors fly. Remember the, uh, I guess if you want to call the uh, episodes he ran or the stretch he ran with uh, when Trish Stratus first came into the WWE. You had that where he was degrading her. Degrading her, putting her head you in had, mop buckets and yeah, you had making the, her bark. You had the Katie Vick stuff. Yes, uh-huh. So... I think one of the things that everybody is struggling with, so I listened to Jim Cornette and uh, Brian Lass talk about it this week, Mm -hmm. and actually something Brian said I agree with, and that's going to be the lead-in for our history Mm -hmm. portion. But I think listening to them, I think Jim Cornette just is really struggling because he knew Vince McMahon well for a few years. Yes. And I think a lot of Chris Benoit's friends struggled with the same things. Now, Vince mm-hmm. didn't kill anybody. He didn't do the things that Benoit did. Right. But when you, you, and I've gone through this personally, when someone you're close to or you know mm-hmm. does something horrific and you can't put, you can't connect those things in your mind. Right. You can't see how the person you knew and loved could do those things. I don't say Jim Cornette loved Vince, but he respected Vince. Right, exactly. And he always said when he was around Vince, Vince was like the high school principal that when he started acting up too much, he'd kind of look down his glasses at you and like, you know, yeah, uh-huh. straighten up and get back to it. And you could hear him kind of struggling that like, was it late stage concussions, which uh, they brought up a couple times because CTE causes mm-hmm. 
personalities to change and people to do things. Yeah. Vince is also older. Mm-hmm. Vince is also someone who his whole life, his whole identity has been wrapped around his bodybuilding. Oh, and yeah. That, mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's face it, an executive does not need to take steroids. No, uh-uh. But he did because his identity is wrapped up in it. It could be any of those things. But yeah. I'm going to tell you from personal experience, you're never going to make it make sense to you because it's not going to make sense to you. Whatever the causes were, and it probably isn't one, it's probably a myriad of causes all put together. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Brian Lass made a very good point when he was talking about it. How does Jim know that the events he knew in the 90s was not the guy who had been scared straight, you know, because he just went through the steroid trial. Yep. Because they said in the 80s it was like a good old boys club in the office. Mm -hmm. Then you had HR come in and kind of straighten stuff up for a while. Yeah. But then Vince has kind of surrounded himself by his stooges again over the last few years when he was lessening uh, Paul Levesque's power. Yeah. And he was taking, you know, over things. I mean, his daughter left the company for a reason. Well, you know... Vince gave himself completely too much power when you had three people... And surrounded himself with idiots who would just uh-huh. say yes, and if you said no to him too many times... Yep, he's out the door. Uh, but you know, Stephanie McMahon, Paul Levesque, and who was the other one at all? Nick Khan. They all and voted that he should not return. He should not return, and what did he say? Up yours, I'm coming back. Right. I I got, veto I got, it. I've got the power. I can veto your vote, and I'm coming back anyway. Exactly. And then forced off several board members who were part of the investigation mm-hmm. into his conduct yeah. and replaced them with people that he thought would be more pliable. Right. Exactly. Um, and the only one that has been named besides Vince is John Laronitis. Mm-hmm. And... If anything that he's alleged to have been doing, and I'm sorry, the the complaint lays out in pretty graphic detail, and there's text messages and other stuff to back things up. Mm-hmm. This young lady, or because uh, I, I say young lady because she looks young, she does. Um, and they say that she's in her early forties, which is still a young lady to me. Oh yeah, but it does. <laughs> yeah. Still a young lady to me, but um, if she's in her early 40s, she's not had a lot of experience in life and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he was really able to manipulate her and take advantage of her. Oh, he groomed her. Yeah. And And so we don't know what's true or not. We'll find that out in mm -hmm. the next several months, several years, as all this stuff works through. Because Vince is in a load of trouble. Not only is he in a load of trouble with the... Uh, court case, which is going to be a civil case, the federal government is still looking into le- the legality of all these hush money payments, not only to this young lady, but to other women that worked in the company, divas and things like that. Uh, Rita Chatterton. Yeah, that going back to the 80s. And now, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, this complaint sheds new light on that, too. It does, yes. It, it has to bring into qu- question all those denials all those years. Mm-hmm. You know? And then... Um, if the Connecticut authorities get interested in some of the things she was talking about, uh, that those two could be facing criminal charges because if any of that's true, mm-hmm. they committed a crime. Oh, yeah, they did. Now, Vince has got a lot more money, although hopefully this young lady's going to get a big chunk of it. Mm-hmm. But 
And that's another thing. You talk about a heel maneuver. Yeah. Makes the agreement. She signs the NDA. He makes the first payment and then doesn't make any more payments. Yeah, huh? What does he expect her to do? Did he think she was going to be a shrieking violet and just... Yes, I think he thought that he had her so manipulated and beat down, Mm -hmm. she would take what she got and just go away because she never wanted... I mean, let's face it. I am so happy that the court of public opinion seems to be firmly in her favor. Mm -hmm. The whole reason none of the women... Because the Me Too movement exists for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I work around a lot of women. Yeah. You know, I've got nine sisters and that. It happens way too often. And the women are afraid to come forward a lot of times because maybe they're not going to be believed. This young lady benefited financially Mm -hmm. from some of the horrible things that were done to her for a while. Yeah. You know, will people uh, go against her? That's Mm -hmm. always the thing. The victim comes forward and everybody starts shaming and blaming the victim. Right. That's why a lot of these things never come to light. And that's probably what Vince thought. Mm-hmm. She's not going to want to tell people what I did to her. Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I'd probably, you know, think Vince, twice. And, Vince and Johnny Ace mm-hmm. are lucky that she doesn't have a pack of brothers because they probably would have come around for a visit. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they would have. You know, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking that this kind of stuff is still going on. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, it's Damn. nothing new, mm-hmm. but I've never seen it to this level. Well, it's like, you know, the sexual harassment and the, the nonsense and all of that stuff been going mm-hmm. on forever and a day. It still goes on when it shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. poor woman has to worry every time she goes to work that some clown is going to come up and start hitting on her. And yeah. then when she just says, not interested, going to keep it up afterwards, mm-hmm. you know. This but, is, if even 5% of it is true, this is so above and beyond and past that. Oh, yeah. You know. It is. And you know, and it hits home for me. I've got, as I said, besides my daughter, I've got, and my daughter told me that somebody had, didn't do anything, thankfully, mm-hmm. but had tried. Yeah, you know, she and she didn't tell me about that for a year and a half to, for to two years because she was afraid I was going to go find him. Oh well, knowing you, you would have. Well, if I knew his name, ah, I know mm-hmm. the state he's in. I could probably figure out who it is. And, yeah, I'd take a road trip. Oh, yeah. You, you put your hands on my baby girl, there's going to be repercussions. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I've got nine sisters as well. Right. So, and, you know, I remember hearing the horror stories growing up about some of the stuff that they endured. Oh, gosh. So, at least times seem to be changing. The court of public opinion seems to be firmly in her court, and I hope it stays mm-hmm. that way. And... You know, Vince has got a lot to answer for. John Laronitis has a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. There's some unnamed co-conspirators in here. We, I'd love to know what their names are, too. Mm-hmm. Idiots. You know, not that we would call them out on the podcast and make them look like morons, which right. we would. But. And, you know, there's got to be people that was within the organization that knew. That's always the most heartbreaking thing. If you tell me that Kevin Dunn... And Bruce Pritchard, two people in Vince's right pocket, didn't know that this was going on. I'd almost call you a liar. Yeah, not only do I think they probably knew because of their closeness to Vince, mm-hmm. 
there are a lot more people in that company that knew what was going on. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's always the case. Mm-hmm. People turn a blind eye. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to. And that's how, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uncomfortable situations like that happen. Exactly. Across a whole gamut of issues. Mm-hmm. Is people don't want to engage. People don't want to call out what they see. Right. You know. I, I don't know why. Well, I do. Most people don't like confrontation. Yeah. I don't like it, but I always was able to handle it. Right. Yeah. Whereas most people, just the thought of confrontation makes their skin crawl. I know people who cannot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cannot. Mm-hmm. Will not. If they're defending themselves, they won't be able to do yeah. it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, my uh, my mother, I always say she wouldn't say poop if she had a mouthful of it. Because she didn't like to complain. She didn't like to bring, bring attention to anything. Just let it go. You know, just. Yeah, you know, Dad would do that a lot. But that was just because he was too nice of a guy and didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Um I, I try to be more like dad as I get older because... Mm-hmm. Well, that I tell you what, your dad is a great man to look up to. Uh, I tell you what, there all of us could learn a, a lesson from uh, Mr. Uh, Ernie Charles Dias, so... Yeah. And uh, I was, I, you know, and like I told you before, I was very honored to know the man. Yeah, everybody so, liked him. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> everybody come in, hey, come in, sit down, have a yeah. beer, you know? <laughs> You know, <laughs> that was the only thing. I was never old enough to have a beer with Ernie. That's <laughs> well, you probably would have got one anyway, but Mom probably already told him, he's not even 18 yet. You better not give right. him a beer, Charles. <laughs> sure, he got his ear blistered before you ever got there. <laughs> because he offered several of my friends who weren't yet 21 beers over the years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they can't drink. They're not 21 yet, Ernest Charles. She's like, I was drinking before I was 21. Yeah. You know it's bad when the grandkids think your name is a curse word? Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah. So one day, <laughs> I remember that. One of my nieces got mad at my brother-in-law, and she turns around and she goes, You, Ernest Charles? And he's like, What? <laughs> so my sister called up and said, Mom, I think you're yelling at Dad a little too much. The the kids think that his name is Kurt. I think Mom was a little embarrassed about that for a while. Oh, that's funny. And Dad always had the same answer. Okay, okay, don't get so excited. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, he I tell you that he he was he was a funny funny man and a good man. Yeah. And he'd have socked Vince McMahon right in his chops if he'd have said any of that to my sister. Oh, yeah, absolutely he would have. You know, I don't understand where Vince... I I guess it's Vince's money, or if he thinks that he's powerful. I, I think Vince he... always had a very, very healthy ego. Mm-hmm. But I think the billion dollars on top of it, he probably just thinks he's got enough money the rules don't apply to him. Yeah. He didn't think he, the rules applied to him when he's a millionaire. I'm sure as a billionaire, yeah. he really thinks the rules don't apply to him. Mm-hmm. Where Laronitis gets it, though, I have no idea. <sighs> Has there ever been a bigger waste in the professional wrestling business than John Laronitis? No, I, no, there hasn't. The guy has just been... What a, big star has he produced? Um, 
I mean, he was the head of talent relations. Um, what he really was was the guy that walked behind Vince and went, oh, that's funny, Vince. Oh, can yeah, I get you your coffee, Vince? Ex- exactly. Because I think the stars that have been developed since Jim Ross left talent really, has been developed by uh, Triple H or Paul Levesque, yeah. whichever name and you, you prefer. Know, who was really the last star to be produced? So for me, it's Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, and they. Seth was an independent. Yeah. But Reigns is right from the WWE system. They got him in Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, that was Triple H running all that stuff at the time. And I, I, I credit. You look at the big stars. There is like a void of talent in WWE. During that, when Laronitis comes in there, they did get CM Punk off the Indies. Didn't know what to do with him for a number of years. Right. But they did get him. But you got all these muscle heads, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that Laronitis is just like, Vince likes bodybuilders. So he went and found every muscle head he could find. Yeah, exactly. Signed them, but that doesn't mean they could wrestle. That's why I think that uh, it's, a, it's a shame that we don't have the territories anymore. Because they would train these guys how to... The yeah. independents kind of do it, but they teach so many people so many bad habits. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I remember. You know. And I mean, okay. So, have you ever heard of that Joey Ryan idiot? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I don't know. I can't even describe his act on a family-friendly show. Oh, okay. Um, but off air, I'll tell you what he did, so you'll you'll know. Mm-hmm. But. If you worked with this moron and you did what his shtick is, you have just made yourself look like a complete phony moron in front of whoever saw that. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to go to the WWE and pray that they don't have any of that video from that. Yeah, they go, weren't you the guy that? Yeah, no, no, thanks. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll move on. That that's the bad part of the indies. I think the independents are great in that they give people a chance to work and get some experience but you're taking the good with the bad there they learn a lot of mm-hmm. bad habits not the WWE WWE is always worried about play to the hard camera do this do that yeah okay well they're not Shakespearean actors right well it's like remember when uh, Flair came in Flair wasn't Flair wasn't a star when he first came in he came in through Minnesota yeah and where did they send him they sent him to the Carolinas. Yeah. Sent him down there with uh, Ole and Gene, and he became their cousin. Yeah. And like Ole said, you know, we'd let him go into the match for a minute, minute and a half, until he was like, you know, okay, guys, you know, I need to tag out now. I'm I'm out of mood, you know. He said, you know, you these guys, you got to build it up, and you. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, this guy's in the Carolinas. He's looking good. Why don't we bring him over to Georgia? Why don't we bring him over to Florida? Let's bring him to Texas, you know. And that's why I said that's why. So think about it. All the big stars that kept that company going during the 2000s, early mm-hmm. 2010s, were signed by Jim Ross and trained in Ohio Valley Wrestling. You had that great crop oh, yeah. of Cena, Orton, Lesnar, Batista, uh, who am I you gonna put out? Cena in that group? Cena was their biggest star. I don't like him. To, to me, I never did. I liked him when he first came out and he was young and he was doing 
But, you know, that's has a shelf life. You oh, yeah. You can't be 40. <laughs> that was the problem with the NWO and even DX towards the end. Mm-hmm. You can't have guys in their 40s acting like idiotic teenagers yeah. or early 20-year-olds. But Cena, when he first came out with the rap act and everything, mm-hmm. I liked him. Mm-hmm. But he never really grew out of... Right. That, the, in my in my opinion. The thugonomics. Um, so, to me, you've got a huge void between uh, Stone Cold Rock and um, Triple H mm-hmm. until you get to Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is a huge star as well. But oh, now, yeah. Roman Reigns was not what Roman Reigns is until he became the Tribal Chief. When he was the baby phase... And then wasn't that great? Yeah, wasn't that great? Yeah, you know. Now, um, but again, that's from Paul Levesque. Yeah. So you had the guys that were left over from Jim Ross. Mm-hmm. The end of his reign in uh, talent relations. Yeah. Then you got Johnny Ace coming in there, and he does jack all of nothing. Yeah. And then Triple H gets a hold of it and starts doing things differently. And now they're starting to produce a few stars again. And do you think that because Paul Vest was doing such a good job and people going, oh, wow, this is a pretty we, decent we, product. We can't now. wait until Vince is gone so he can run it. That's why I've always felt yep. that Vince wouldn't have known that, but he's got the three stooges around him. I guarantee you they told him. I was going to say You know, ever, all the dirt sheets are saying they can't wait until you're gone so Paul Levesque can come in there and take over. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought Vince neutered uh, Triple H. For, he didn't neuter him at first. Mm-hmm. At first, every star that Triple H developed in NXT mm-hmm. would go up to the main roster and Vince would kill him. Right, yeah. He would give him a stupid gimmick. Or he'd have him lose to some old guy right away. It would yeah. be something stupid. Take the best part away from him. Oh, the Legends contracts. Yeah. So you have yeah. Karrion Cross come up. Yeah. A big star in NXT. First thing you do is take Scarlet away from him. Yeah. Okay, well, you just killed his act. Right. And then you dress him up like a demolition knockoff. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shinsuke Nakamura. Huge following oh. coming out of NXT. Yes. And he just takes him and does what Vince always does, makes him a caricature, uh-huh. and then beats him like a drum. Boy, I tell you what, and that guy is so full of talent. So that's He's what I thought. He's such a great wrestler. Yes. yes, I don't know why people... If you hadn't seen him in New Japan and all you saw out of him was what he did on the main roster, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming you were watching NXT. Yeah. You should know what he could do from watching NXT. Triple H knew how to use him. Uh-huh. And I think he's slowly trying to rehabilitate him. I love those vignettes they're doing Mm -hmm. with the cartoons and everything. Yeah. It's just if anybody will ever accept him because they beat him down so bad for the last few years. And speaking of, uh, I'm glad you brought up New Japan Wrestling. Do you think that the Japan style of wrestling would show well on TV over here? I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I used to watch the New Japan January Fourth show when they used to have it on. Mm-hmm. The problem you're going to have with that style of wrestling is the problem they have with that style of wrestling over there. It's very stiff. Oh yeah, you know mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah three four shoot. Mm-hmm. So you have that very stiff style. So what happens? Guys get beat up really bad. Yeah, they do. 
And that's why a lot of their careers end early over there. Kenta Kobashi, you know, his knees were just shot. Mm -hmm. Maybe not Kenta Kobashi, maybe just Kenta. No, I think his name was Kenta Kobashi. His knees were just shot when he was in his early 30s. Right. Because of all the beatings they were doing. Uh, Masawa and Kawada used to have those, you know, just knock the hell out of each other. Masawa's dead. Yeah. He had a heart attack in the ring, and they think some of what caused that was... The beating he took in Japan. Huh. Now, if you've only seen Kenny Omega in the last three or four years, you're not really getting a fair representation of what his work was all about. Mm -hmm. That guy was pretty amazing when he was in his 20s and 30s. What he was doing in Japan, I don't know necessarily would have made sense to an American audience. Uh -huh. But for the style of wrestling they were doing over there, I saw him and oh, the other guy that's really broke down now that's in AEW. Well, it's almost all of them. Yeah, he, but he no, he's a Japanese wrestler. Oh. And they had some of their best matches together. Yeah. Ko... wasn't Kobashi. It was Ko... Anyway, the, the guy that uh, had just recently come over to AEW... Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like a, a younger kid. Yes. Yeah. But he's almost wrecked, too. And, uh, Kenny Omega is wrecked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but... It's because that Japanese style takes years off your career. Right. I mean... So, do I think people would like it and find it interesting? Yes, if it's presented well. I don't think AEW's presenting it well. Yeah. But that style of wrestling... Well, what am I talking about? The AEW style of wrestling is taking years off people's lives, too. <laughs> and yeah. let's throw WWE in for that as, as matter because I've seen them do some really stupid stuff off of cages, and mm -hmm. one of the most insane things I ever saw was uh, uh, Tommaso Ciampa's got that thing where he puts a guy up on his shoulder mm -hmm. and then kind of dumps him over sideways. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. He did that. He had Adam Cole up on his shoulder. He did that off for the top of a cage through some And I'm like, do you know what the margin of error is for both of you being crippled for life? Uh about zero point and three. Then I see EO Sky, the genius of the sky, put a trash can on herself and jump from the top of yes. the twelve foot cage. That's genius. That's, That's insanity. Uh huh. So if they continue to do that in WWE, AEW, Japan, wherever you're going to do it, you're taking years off your career. Yeah. Um, even if you only do that every once in a while, your body's only got. I've always said. In MMA, your body only has so many weight cuts. Yeah. You could see guys start to degrade when they start having trouble making weight because their body's just been to too many extreme training camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same thing with professional wrestling. You've only Your body can only take so much punishment before it's going to give out. Right. And so you've only got so many of those crazy bumps that you <clears> can <throat> take. And Tommaso Ciampa has been hurt mm -hmm. quite a bit. Adam Cole has been hurt quite a bit. That style takes it out of your body. But so people shouldn't judge Omega for what he is now. They should go back and look at some of his earlier yeah. stuff in Japan. You um, know, that's why I was so against the uh, tables, letters, and chairs matches. Yes. Uh, One time, once, it was interesting. Yes. But now they do it every few months, and everybody's trying to top the last craziest thing that mm -hmm. happened. Well, when you see... I thought the, the, the Paul guy that's always... Logan Paul. Oh, yeah. I thought him and Ricochet were going to cripple themselves in the last one. Oh, yeah. I tell you, they those guys... Oh, and that was the uh, 
that was the last match that we forgot about in uh, uh, Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah, that's right. Kid, yeah. Are we going to cover that today? Uh, I don't know. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah. Let's get all the depressing topics out. All, all right. right. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I mean, there definitely were some good moments on there. Yeah. So, are you ready for some history, or do you yeah, let's go have ahead. another... Let's go ahead and rock, rock and roll. So, Brian Lass said something on the podcast this week when they were talking about the Vince situation mm-hmm. that I really agree with. And it, it made me think of the history topic for this week. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, wrestling has always been a dirty business. Yeah. And for the most part, he is right on the money. Mm-hmm. And the way it was set up kind of lent itself to that way anyway. Yeah. Because professional wrestling, when they were working... They didn't, know, they didn't want anybody to know they were working. Not because they would lose all their fans, but because they would lose their ability to trick their fans in gambling schemes. Right, yeah. So the original impetus to work came from the gambling schemes. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why pro wrestling has always had a bad reputation is because this has come out over the years what they were doing. Right. And I had in previous podcasts, I had talked about how the American heavyweight champion is out touring and he stops in this small town in Minnesota when he was on his way up to Minneapolis or St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And this wrestler, D.A. McMillan, had been in the town for a week, you know, being a big loudmouth and everything under an assumed name. Yeah. And when Burns comes through, they uh, he gets challenged by D.A. McMillan and Burns accepts the challenge. Now, why would Martin Farmer Burns, the U.S. champion, Except the challenge of some schlub walking on the street. Exactly. You know, Frank Gotch goes somewhere, the guy that Burns trained. Yeah. That's why, to me, why did these people not pick up on that immediately? The first mm-hmm. thing I want to say is, why is the champion wrestling this doofus? There's nothing in it for him. It'd be like me and Seth Rollins having a match. Right. There's And there's nothing in it for the champion. Right. If somebody challenged... The MMA middleweight champion. They're just some guy on the street. Mm-hmm. He's going to say, get a training camp, get into MMA, and beat a bunch of people in the weight category, and you'll qualify to fight for the title. Right. But I'm not fighting every schmo that comes up to me and wants to have a punch-up. Get right. out of here. That's what normally... So the part of it is I don't want to blame the victims, but why on earth would the townspeople not say, wait a minute, why is the champion... Going to even waste his time with this goof. Because it was a different time. Yeah, it and, was a different time, all right. And and things were different back then. That, that, and, yeah, and there was one on every corner. And, and, believe, <laughs> and you know what? Well, what, it, what did W.C. Fields say? There's one born every minute? There's one born every minute. Well, there was a couple hundred born. Well, you know, and up in Minneapolis, there's not much to do in the cold weather except... Uh, well, that is true. I can't <laughs> fault that. Watch wrestling and... Uh, I, I you hibernate. <laughs> well, we're not we're not that deep into this story yet. So, uh-huh. and I've already told it. Uh, the punchline is that Burns and McMillan worked this match. Yeah, and um, they they had a thing where it was going to be first fall and quickest fall. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, D. A. McMillan won the first fall and made a killing because, of mm-hmm. course, everybody's betting on Burns. Right. And then he won the fastest fall after uh, Burns won a fall in like three minutes. They're like, oh, that one's safe. So they... Yeah. And then he comes out the next fall, which is a fourth fall, and wins in a minute and a half. Yeah. 
And so uh, Burns comes out, pins him in like uh, two and a half minutes, and then the two of them hightail it to the train and get out of town. Well, yeah, of course they Unfortunately did. for them, there was a reporter from the uh, St. Paul Daily Globe mm-hmm. that was kind of following Burns' entourage around to write an interest story uh-huh. when he got into St. Paul. And he exposed it because he knew who D.A. McMillan was. Ah. He knew what was going on. He exposed it all in the newspaper and killed wrestling in Minnesota for, mm-hmm. you know, a year or two. And sometimes that happened. Sometimes it didn't. So yeah. you've already, always heard the uh, famous story about how um, Jack Pfeffer exposed professional wrestling to the newspapers. Yeah. And killed it in New York. Well, he did that in 1933. Yeah. New York didn't go dark until 1939, and that was two years after Jack Curley died. Ah, okay. Which had a lot more to do with wrestling going dark in New York than Jack Pfeffer's expose. Yeah. But before I get into Jack Curley, who is a big part of the what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. your talk about Minnesota... And the snow. I almost went off on a tangent there, but <laughs> I wanted to finish the McMillan yeah. and Burns uh, story before I did so. So, uh, Dad Ernest Charles Diaz, mm-hmm. he had a brother, uh, brother Quentin, who was like twelve years older than him. Oh, okay. And he lived up in Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Well, when Quentin was getting close to the end of his life, his nephews called him and said, "Hey, Uncle Ernie, if you want to see Dad, you better get up here because." He's probably only got a couple months to live. Yeah. And they called him because it was the end of October. Because they're up in Flint. Oh, yeah. January, February could be really nice. Yes. So, Dad goes up in October. Now, Dad hated snow. Mm-hmm. Dad hated cold. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you remember as long as you can when he would come in and sit in his chair, he'd put that little lap blanket on. Oh, yeah. And he'd have his flannel shirt on. He was always cold. So yep. he hated the cold. He told me when he came back, because this is October when he comes back. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, hey, Dad, how was your trip? He said, I will never go north of St. Louis again. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me he gets up there. He said, and the snow has frozen and melted so many times, mm-hmm. it's as hard as asphalt. Oh, yeah. And when his nephew came and picked him up from the airport, he's got chains on the tires. Yeah. And the head gets in the car with him. He goes, doesn't this bother you? He goes, oh, no, Uncle Ernie. He goes, we just put the chains on the tires about the 1st of September, and we just, he goes, it'll be like this until uh, late spring next year. Yeah. I think he said May or something, or May or June. <laughs> you know, it's like... He said it was cold, and there was snow all over the place. <laughs> he goes, it was like walking on ice everywhere we went. He goes, I will never go north of St. Louis. Well, I'd say, that's why I say, you know, um, I went to Marquette, Michigan, uh, in the Upper Peninsula there uh, a few years ago. And there, you know, the they don't measure snow in inches. They measure it in feet. You know, we're going to get a foot of snow tonight. Yeah, they can we're we're going to get two feet of snow tonight. And, but I tell you what, I asked, we was we was at a local watering hole one night. Uh, and I asked the uh, bar lady, I said, how do you guys, I said, I'm from the Midwest. I said, we're from St. Louis. I said, we get 
six, seven inches of snow. And it shuts everything down. And we get everything down. I said, you guys are talking that you're getting two feet of snow. She goes, honey, she said, we're getting two feet of snow within 12 hours of the snow stopping. Our streets are clear. Well, they usually have the equipment. To do I was going to say, they know what they're doing. And when, and when they tell you stay off the roads until we're done, they mean they, they stay, stay off, off the, the roads yes. until we're done. So that weather interlude was brought to you by Red Hawk Mercantile. Check it out. All right. So, Jack Address is in the uh, uh, notes. Yes, it, it <laughs> will definitely be in the notes at kenzimmerjr.com slash episode 45. Hmm? So we, we got one commercial. I, I thought we had enough distance from the distastefulness events to get that in there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So now back to the main program. It still tastes barrel cream, though, talking about his dumbass. Yeah, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's very distasteful. Um, another distasteful person is known as Jack Curley. Jack, yes. the And Jack Curley started getting involved with wrestling promotion in the late 1900, late, when I say 1900s, I mean like 1908, 1909, in the 19-teens. Yeah. And he was the manager slash promoter. Now, he wasn't the true promoter because back in those days, we think of promoters, um, particularly from the territory days, as somebody who set up in a city and they promoted that city. Right. Or maybe they promoted a territory. They promoted a number of cities. Right. But that system didn't really emerge until the late teens and then really in the 20s it really took off and that's Mm -hmm. how wrestling was promoted. But before that, what you had was you had managers and a lot of times they would be integral in the promotion of the event too because they would get backers. Yeah. And the backers were usually wealthy people who wanted to see the wrestling match. Right. So they would put the money up for the venue or whatever to rent it. And if there was any profit, and a lot of times there was not, Mm -hmm. they would get the money back. So in the 1880s, or maybe it was the night, no, it was 1880s, they rented Madison Square Garden for a match between the American uh, heavyweight champion and the challenger Mm -hmm. and drew like 150 people. Woo! Yep, the, the organizers took a bath. I bet. So Curly was involved in the management and promotion of the second Gotch Hackenschmidt match mm-hmm. in 1911. And Hackenschmidt was hurt, and Hackenschmidt wanted to call the match off. Yeah. But they knew they were going to have a huge gate. They didn't realize how huge it was going to be. There was 35,000 people that showed up. Yeah. They wouldn't draw 30,000 fans again until the 1930s when Londis came around. Yeah. So they... They knew if they had to cancel, they were going to just take an absolute bath. Mm-hmm. But there was so much money on the line that Curly convinced Hackenschmidt to go on. And there's a story in Fall Guys about them uh, promising that Gotch would carry him and make him look good. And then Gotch just ate him up and uh, stomped him. Mm-hmm. But that's not borne out in fact at all. So the first fall went 14 minutes. Uh-huh. I think Hack just... He resisted Gotch as long as he could, but he had an injured knee. Yeah. You know, there's no way he was going to be able to beat Gotch. And he held him off as long as he could. Mm-hmm. And the two wrestlers, I have never found any evidence that they ever worked a match. There's only two so far that I've found. Mm-hmm. One is George Hackenschmidt, and the other one is uh, 
Tom Jenkins. Well, Hackenschmidt, I don't think he had to. I mean, he was a good enough wrestler. He didn't, you know, he didn't have to work. Well, and he didn't. He was the world champion, and he valued that title. Mm-hmm. And it but killed him when he lost it to Gotch in 1908. And yeah. he wasn't going to wrestle again after that. But then his knee started feeling better, so he thought he had a chance, which led to the second match. Right. Which was a bit of a debacle. Mm-hmm. And so Curly convinces him to go back and do the match. And Gotch was promised more money than Hack. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Hack was promised more money than Gotch. Oh, okay. Hack was promised some film rights and a bigger portion of the gate to come over to wrestle Gotch. So Gotch was going to get thirteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Hack and Schmidt was supposed to get forty three thousand. Forty three thousand back in that day. Wow. Yes, but we're talking about Jack Curley here. Yeah. So the, they have the match, um, and Gotch gets his thirteen thousand, no problem. And part of the one of the things I'm going to say, I cannot verify this is true. It comes from the Fall Guys. Because one of Hackenschmidt's conditions was that they had to announce in the newspaper that all bets were off, which they did. And yeah. they announced it in the arena. That does not mean that people did not bet on the match. Oh, yeah. That just means they announced it in the paper and in the arena, which was supposed to tell the people... Uh, Buyer beware, there's something yes. going on. That's why we don't want things being bet on. Because you had shady guys in the audience right. going up, hey guys, who do you think is going to win tonight? Exactly. You, you, you want and, a little money on it. Yeah. And so I still don't say that there weren't bets, but they did announce that there shouldn't be bets. Yeah. And in the fall, guys, uh, Griffin alleges that Jack Curley won $35,000 betting against <sighs> Hackenschmidt, who was his... He was the manager of record for Hackenschmidt. Yeah. Now, I find it hard to believe, and with the embellishments and untrue things that are in the Fall Guys, mm-hmm. I can't say that that happened. But it wouldn't surprise me that he at least made some money right. betting against Hackenschmidt as well. But the r- real thing, and why I say wrestling has always been a dirty business, mm-hmm. is Curly gave... Hackenschmidt thirteen thousand, just like he gave Gotch, mm-hmm. and he pocketed the thirty thousand. So he must have been Vern Gagne's godfather. <laughs> yeah, because they said Vern did the same thing after one of the super clashes. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. But Curly put the money in his own pocket, so he uh-huh. took thirty thousand from Hackenschmidt and whatever he won on the bets. Uh huh. And Hackenschmidt, because he wanted to get back to Europe and was done with wrestling, yeah, he took the thirteen thousand and left. He did not, uh, didn't even fight he, about. He it didn't much. sue him because he said that would I would have to come back. Yeah, and he didn't. I don't think he ever came back to the U.S. I think he mm. spent the rest of his life and he was, uh, well, he was an Estonian, but there was no Estonia at the time. Yeah, but he lived in the area which is Estonia. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he was always called the Russian Lion, yeah, because that was part of the Russian Empire at the time. He originally lived in France when he left the U.S. and he lived in France up until the 1930s. But he decided he really didn't want to be around town when the the Germans came. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So he and his wife moved to England, and that's where he lived for the rest of his life. He died in London. Okay. And well, I'm trying to figure why. I don't know that so- he ever came back to the U.S., but I do know 
that he wanted out, and he said, if I sue him, I'm going to have to come back here again. Yeah. And I'm going home on a, a boat. So he, he went back. Why would any self-respecting Russian live in France? You got me. I guess he liked the, the food or the ambiance. I don't think his wife was French. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know. But was, she was not, she was not Russian or Estonian. Uh-huh. For some reason, I want to I want to say she was English, and that's why they ended up. Oh, but I think I think he's Russian and she was English, and they lived in France for fifteen twenty years. Mm-hmm. But then he's he didn't die until nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. So from the thirties until the sixties, he lived in in uh, England. Okay. And but Curly, you know, wrestling is a dirty business. The guy yes, just pocketed thirty thousand dollars. Right. Is. And made a ton gambling on his fight or his wrestler who he knew was compromised. Yeah. So, to show that the bad guys do occasionally win, he goes from there and they promoted that in Chicago. He was not the Chicago promoter. Uh huh. And there really wasn't. Uh, Ed White was around Chicago and they had the Empire Wrestling Club, but there was no real true promoter. Uh huh. Um, until later. But he goes to New York, and he actually establishes a promotion in New York. Mm-hmm. And Curly is not the earliest city promoter. There were some promoters in the South before that. Yeah. Um, you had uh, Jerry Walls in Lexington and Louisville, and you had um, W.H. Barton, who started with Walls in Lexington and Louisville. Mm-hmm. He went and opened up uh, Georgia, and then I think... John Contos, who was the original St. Louis promoter, took that over for him because he left to be the manager of Dan Koloff. Mm-hmm. That's how Tom Pax got the promotion. Pax was Contos's nephew. Oh, okay. And when Contos left to be the manager for Koloff, Tom Pax took over the St. Louis office. Okay. And then you had uh, Paul Bowser. Paul Bowser was probably the second big city promoter to establish himself in a town and really develop the promotion. He was in Boston. Yeah. But you start having the, the promotional system build itself out. Mm-hmm. And that was all a dirty business because they were constantly double-crossing each other. Mm-hmm. Besides them giving Sabisco the money to double-cross uh, the Gold Dust Trio. Yeah. And when he did that, they had, the conspirators had 20 Philadelphia police officers standing by, mm-hmm. and they escorted him from the ring to the dressing room, from the dressing room to the hotel, and they stayed with him at the hotel till the train came and put him on the train. They were scared somebody was going to kill him. Well, yeah. So this, and in the 80s, Jim Ross overheard the NWA promoters talking about killing Vince. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot of that going around back then. So it was always a dirty business. Mm-hmm. Dick Schickett was afraid they were going to kill him after he double-crossed Dan O'Mahony. Mm-hmm. And you just had all of them double-crossing each other. You, uh, the 30s was just rife with double-crosses. Yeah. At one time, I thought that when Zabisco shot on Munn, they, they learned their lesson and always put it on a hooker after that, never put it on a performer again. Yeah. No, that wasn't the case. The 30s, there was just double cross after double cross. Yeah, double, double cross, cross, yeah. 
the double crosses really came to an end. There was still one or two after that, mm-hmm. but n- never within the NWA. The National Wrestling Alliance pretty much put out. They also were had mon- monopolistic policies and practices. Uh-huh. Again, it's a dirty business. They would uh, take a, a wrestler yeah. and basically just blacklist him and say, you're not wrestling anywhere. Oh wow! If he went against the promoters, or and sometimes over very specious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy Welch, who really started wrestling in the South, he yeah. just basically stole promotions for people. They say. Mm. So I know that he did a dirty deal on his own son, Buddy Fuller, to ace him out of. It was something he started back up. I don't think it was Memphis. It might have been Georgia. Mm-hmm. Basically, his father sent him there to start it up. He starts it up, do, doing a great job. And his dad just comes in and aces him out of the promotion. Uh. So, and, you know, there's stories about uh, being taken advantage of by parents and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. It's re- And most of the shady dealings originally were over the gambling. Yeah. And then the shady dealings were over the works going on and, you know, people standing up to promoters and stuff. Uh-huh. But really, when you look at professional wrestling through its history, it's kind of been a combination of the carnivals and the mafia. Mm-hmm. You know, the carnival, it's a closed society. It's got its own language, as does the mafia. Yeah. Which we understand doesn't really exist. Well, Even though there's been hundreds of RICO cases that say differently. Right. Um, <laughs> There's no such thing as the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> Except in all those RICO cases. Uh-huh. Particularly centered around New York City. If you don't think the mafia exists, just go on up onto the hill up there. <laughs> and, well, our organized crime families were pretty tame in comparison to most of them. The oh. last crime boss we had got arrested for playing gin rummy. Yeah. In the back of, didn't he have a store or something? But he was playing cards. Yeah. That's what they arrested him for, gambling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a, over a card game. Yeah. You could probably bust at anybody for that in the 80s. Yeah. i tell you what, it's a... Well, I'm not going to go into the history of the organized crime in St. Louis, but... <laughs> no. But the history of organized crime and professional wrestling, it was alive oh, yeah. and well for mm-hmm. most of its... And that's what it was. It was a closed society, and they didn't want you smarting people up. Right. And it was hard to get in... You know, mm-hmm. it was almost like this thing of ours. And a lot of the double-dealing, shady stuff went on by the promoters. Yeah. Sometimes the bookers, like a Joseph Tutsmont. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was the promoters. Yeah. And then in the early days, a lot of it was the managers and the wrestlers themselves. Right. But, so I agree with what Brian was saying, and there's plenty of historical uh, evidence to back up what he was saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always been a dirty... Now, I've never heard of any of the other promoters doing the stuff that Vince is accused of, and you will be surprised. I actually defended Tony Khan on the last podcast because I don't think he would ever get caught um, up in anything like this. However, what after I defended him... What? <laughs> what, are you waiting for a lightning bolt to hit? Yeah! defended Tony Khan. He's not a bad guy. No, you know what? I'm sure that Tony Khan would be a great guy to sit down, eat some pizza with, and talk 
even if we've criticized him, do you really believe his heart's in the wrong place? No, I don't think it is. No, I, I think he really wants to make things better for the wrestlers, and I think he wants to make a product the fans want to see. The problem yeah. I have with mainly his management, mm-hmm. which has caused all the problems he has, I don't think the style of wrestling Tony necessarily likes transfers over to a lot of the wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. And he is super hyper-focused on dream matches that the smart fans all like. Yeah. I don't know how big of an audience you're going to have for that, though. But right. My biggest criticisms of him are for his hands-off or no management style. Yes, exactly. Whatever you want to call it. But as a human being, as a person, I don't think he's a bad person. And I think he is trying to do something mm-hmm. to make wrestling better for the wrestlers. Now, maybe he'll lose his mind in 40 years. But right now, you don't see that kind of behavior on him. Yeah. The biggest issue, though, is supposedly Chris Jericho, and nobody has commented on it. Nobody's uh, confirming or denying anything. Mm-hmm. But apparently a wrestler early on in AEW asked for a release. She was given it, and she had to sign an NDA, and it involved some kind of I don't know, pass, uh, inappropriate looks or inappropriate words directed to her by Chris Jericho Mm -hmm. that made her very uncomfortable, and that's why she asked for her release. Gotcha. They never said he tried anything or tried to do the vents on her. He just, Um, whatever, he said something to her, though. Right, and apparently she's very sensitive to that. I don't know if anything's happened to her in the past. I hope not. Yeah. But apparently she was very sensitive to this as well. And that made her very uncomfortable. But the, we don't know the story because nobody's talking. Right. She signed an NDA. Or she allegedly signed an NDA. Mm-hmm. Because nobody is confirming or denying anything. So, if Tony was involved in some kind of cover-up regarding bad behavior of one of his stars, now I've got to take him to task for this same kind of mm-hmm. nonsense. But Well, but do you th- think... If, if Jerry- I heard that Tony Khan was involved in the kind of things that Vince McMahon has been accused of doing, Uh I would not only be shocked, I'd probably be flabbergasted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would be, too. Because, like you said, I think Tony Khan, I could sit down... I mean, that's some sick stuff. Eat pizza and, 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 you know, have a beer with him and, and talk, you know, just... Now we know why Russo and freaking Vince McMahon got along so well. They're both perverts. Yes. Yeah. He would have probably read that garbage we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that Russo oh. came up with for his women's wrestling organization. Oh, yeah. He probably Vince loved probably would have laughed his butt off and thought it was great. Um, yeah, he probably would have taken some of that money that directed for the XFL. Oh. and Now we know. The mystery's uh. been solved. Two arrested prepubescent adolescent yep. goofballs. If my sons came up with something like this, I would wonder what on earth I had done wrong. Mm. He'd probably get And Vince sick. is the same age as my mother. Yeah. Or my mother would have been. Mm-hmm. They were both born in 45. Yeah. Mom's been gone five years, God rest her soul. No, I tell you what, you know, like I said, uh, but yeah, you know, and I don't think Jericho is the kind of person that would do something like Vince did. 
No. Do I think that he could think he's Mr. Rockstar and be talking to the, the, these gals like, you know, they would be lucky that he even looked their way and that would freak them out because they're like, you're a 50-year-old something dude in a midlife crisis. Exactly. Now, yeah, he would. I could see that. Now, this happened a few years ago, so he was a late 40-year-old guy in a midlife crisis and, you mm. know, made him feel uncomfortable. Although, I will have to say, I always enjoyed watching Jericho work in the ring. Yes. And I, I, when I, he was one of my favorite performers back in the day. Mm-hmm. When he was, his stuff in WCW was gold. Yeah. Before he got the WWF. They never wanted him to get over, and he got over just because yep. the fans liked him and he was funny. Mm-hmm. And he was, like I said, he was great on the mic. Yeah. He was better on the mic at first than he was in the ring. Yeah. But he started to catch up on the in-ring stuff, too. He wasn't, he was never bad. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a bad worker ever, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but when he was a little bit more ahead on the mic than he was yeah, in the ring initially. The days of Jericho and The Rock on the mic. Oh, yeah, those were... Oh, man. That was gold. <laughs> yeah, when Jericho had his duels with Triple H, mm-hmm. they were pretty one-sided. Yeah. Okay. And he was supposed to be the cerebral assassin. And before we go on to our review such as it is this week. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I suggested everybody watch it. We need to watch it too. Um, it's on Peacock. It's uh, the Star Wars from 1981. Mm-hmm. And the match before Carrie versus Harley Race is Kabuki versus Fritz von Erich. Uh-huh. And one of the fans attacks Gary Hart. Oh, is that when he gets stabbed? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Um, Gary pretty much fended him off, but the cops had to run over there and arrest him and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think people realize that's how heated wrestling used to get back in the day. Yeah. Even St. Louis crowds, which were pretty tame because Sam didn't want too much heat. Yeah. People would still get pretty hyped up. Sometimes they get in fights. I never saw in the times I was in St. Louis... Fans attack the wrestlers. But, boy, I, I saw them throw plenty of beer cups. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. But I never saw them just charge the ring and try to beat up any of the wrestlers. No, uh-uh. Me neither. Uh, you know, it was usually a lot of booing and, like you said, a lot of beer cups, popcorn boxes, stuff like that. But I never saw any any uh, fan. I do, I will say now, one time we was down at the arena was well this would have been after Sam though. Yeah. Because you started watching after Sam. Yeah, Sam uh in fact uh but me and my brother were down there. And there was a guy walking around down there who was a pretty good clone of Ric Flair. And this Ric Flair wannabe uh did get into fisticuffs with one of another. Fan. Oh, and, I, and I'm sure he got his butt handed to him too. Yeah. Uh, I think my brother said something to the fact that it's a good thing he got his <clears throat> beat down there because if he would have came up here, I would have <clears throat> his ass. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost got us in a fight with a bunch of Hogan fans. Well, yeah, but we could have taken in these Hogan fans. All we'd have to say is, hey, he's playing guitar for Metallica. Yeah, there was a lot of them, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there was. Speaking of liars. Mm-hmm. He was. I was watching this documentary the other day, 
We're going to give you plenty of stuff to watch on Peacock this week, folks, if you'd really like to. There's a documentary called The Spectacular Legacy of the AWA. Mm -hmm. And it talks about their glory years in the 50s, 60s, and 70s when they trained a lot of the top stars of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And... But it also goes into Hogan talking about Super Saturday, and everybody kind of looks back at that and says that's why Vern lost the wrestling war and went out of business. He would never put the title on Hogan. Yeah. So consider the source when I tell you this. (laughs) Yeah. They interview Hogan for this documentary, Mm -hmm. and Hogan says that Vern had decided he was putting the belt on Hogan. Hogan had kept telling him, no, he didn't want it. But Vern was insisting. But to do so, the reason Hogan didn't want it and the reason Vern wanted him to have it was, one, Vern wanted a piece of his merchandising. Hogan was selling a bunch Uh, of those T-shirts and stuff. Yeah. And he wanted a piece of Hogan's Japan deal. Mm-hmm. And Hogan wasn't willing to give him, which is funny, he wasn't willing to give Vern any of the Japan deal, but then when he went to work for Vince, he dropped the Japan deal after a year or two. Yeah. But I think I'm saying the truth there. I thought he dropped the Japan deal. I was going to say, I th- I believe he did drop the Maybe Japan deal. Maybe a Hogan fan will correct me on that, and I'll say thank you and then say, but you got lousy taste in wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Bogus fan that admitted to people. Right. But I digress. So, Hogan says, nope, I'm not taking it. So, they have that screwy finish that made everybody mad. Yeah. But he can't leave well enough alone. I almost believe him when he says that. We'll never know the real truth of what happened. Because Vern says he didn't need it. And I have always struggled to see Vern putting the title on Hogan. Because Hogan couldn't wrestle. Right. And that's what Vern wanted. And that's all Vern wanted was a guy that could wrestle. Mm Mm-hmm. But... Then Hogan has to say, you know, I invented the merch stuff. Nobody was even doing that or talking about that before I started doing that. In the in his, uh, they had merch tables in Tennessee and all of that in the at least the uh, mid to late seventies. Yeah, I was going to say. And there were other places that were selling. Teams. I remember seeing the Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. Yeah. Um, Back in the 70s and 80s as well. Jack Briscoe was always wearing those t-shirts. Well, I mean, if you go back and you, you look, um, you know, I mean, Jerry Lawler had t-shirts uh, back in the, you know, when he was in Memphis. And, and Yes, so he just can't leave well enough alone. The things he does mm-hmm. are impressive. I don't like him. Right. But the things he's accomplished, he was the biggest star of professional wrestling in the 1980s. Yes. Even though I couldn't stand him, and our champion was ten times better, mm-hmm. he was the biggest star. He had a lot to do with the national expansion. Well, he had everything to do with the national expansion. Working, I still liked your brother, even though he was a Hogan fan. I just couldn't believe Mike. Yeah, uh, intelligent man like that would be a Hogan fan. Well, Mike was kind of a musclehead too, though. So I think that was he kind well, of. Well, I love lifting weights, but I didn't like that guy. Well, yeah, I know, but. Because you know remember the other day you asked me about Kerry Von Erich. I was like, yeah, I wanted to look like him until I realized you couldn't do that yeah. without chemicals. Um, but David was my favorite. He could actually wrestle. And that's why I said, you know, looking back at, like, Kerry Von Erich, like I said, and I don't know if he was just too drunk I, You know, that's high. one of the things when I see him do something odd in the ring, 
because I've heard so much about him later about how he would get high, yeah, or drunk or what before the matches, right? Sometimes I'm like, is he out of it? Yeah, is or or is he? You know, did he just wobble? You know, because well, and the thing is, he's not doing because you go back any wrestling moves, and you go back and let's do his interviews nowadays. Uh huh. And I'm like, was he high then? Because what he said was incoherent. Wasn't Ultimate Warrior incoherent, there's, but it was incoherent. There's only one Mona Lisa, there's only one Eiffel Tower, and there's one Modern Day Warrior, and that's me. Oh, that, that was that was a great promo there. That was bro. sizzling. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, those kids were over like God down there. Well, you know, and I don't understand it. And they were over up here huge as well. They were huge stars in St. Louis. Yeah. Ted DiBiase and David Von Erich were probably the biggest stars in 79, 80, 81. And was it Mikey that wrestled race here? Uh, no, it wouldn't have been Mike. Mike came along. Or was it Kevin? It had to be Kevin. Okay. Because uh, remember uh, Joe Gary Giola made the wrong call? Oh, yeah. Called <laughs> and Harley shaking his head no. He's going, hey! <laughs> It's a tag match. You can't leave me for the world title in a tag match, Mickey. <laughs> We're doing everything in our power not to talk about this Royal Rumble. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Royal Rumble. <laughs> no, actually, I'd rather talk about the old stuff a little bit longer. Right. <laughs> and it's not that I didn't like it. And there were parts of it that well, I really liked. There, It's probably my least favorite pay-per-view of the year. I used to look forward to the men's Royal Rumble, but it's Battle Royals. I'm going to tell you, Battle Royals going back to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Unless Andre the Giant was in it, uh-huh. I really wasn't all that interested. No, because huh? Andre grabs somebody, spike him in the back of the head with a headbutt, and then toss their uh, rear ends out. So Yeah, I just, I, know, I always liked when Andre came to town. Uh-huh. And he was booked great. They only brought him in about once a year. You never got tired of him. Oh, yeah, and it was exactly. always an attraction that drew lots of fans. Mm-hmm. I found the same things that annoyed me about this, the same things that annoyed me about the WWE in general. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we disagree on at least one. Okay. Because we talked about it the other day. But it's not as schizophrenic as some of the AEW shows I've seen. Uh-huh. But it is still a bit schizophrenic. Yeah. You have something good and serious, and then something stupid, like and then our, something good and serious, and yeah. then something stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I want a lot less stupid and a lot more good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the Women's Royal Rumble match. Let me start by saying that the first three that came out made a lot of sense. Yeah. Because you got Natalia, who could work with anybody, yep. and I'm sure has some of the better cardio there. Mm-hmm. Naomi, who is returning, and Natalia, even in a battle royal, uh-huh. is the one you want to kind of lead her around a little bit. Yeah. And then Bailey came in number three, which set up the story, and the WWE did it right with who they had win their Royal Rumbles this year. So I, and I, will, I will say... That's a difference between Paul Levesque and Vince. Yeah. I probably couldn't have said that a year or two ago. Yeah. I will agree that I think having Bailey win the Women's Royal Rumble was great. But like you, I figured she'd be like, you know what? 
I'm going to fight Eos Sky. Right. Why have her fight Rhea? There's no storyline there. Have her fight Eos Sky. Exactly. The whole damage control thing. I I don't get that at all. Mm -hmm. And now I understand, you know, okay, Cody wins his second Royal Rumble back to back. You know, Hogan's done it. Didn't uh, Shawn Michaels do it too? And so did Stone Cold, I think. And Stone Cold said, okay, so you've got him winning. That's good. But, you know, I've seen Cody wrestle Roman I, already. I still think they should have let Cody do it. Well, now I'm going to sound like a complete and total hypocrite. Because I said last year I didn't see him as being the guy. Right. But I do see him as being the guy now. You know who I see as being... But the problem is it's starting to get a little muddy because you've got rock in the wings and you've got all this other stuff. Right. Now, see what I think they should do? Just me personally. Make the IC title, make the Intercontinental Champion title, stand for something. Make it... To the point where... Do you oh, think Gunther has put a little bit of shine back on it, or do you still think it's just a throwaway secondary title? I think Gunther has taken that title and has brought some life back to it. And that's why I think they should let Gunther, I, I would have had Gunther, win the Royal Rumble this year and let him fight Roman. Oh, they're going to let him fight Seth. He's going to take the third world title or whatever you want. Because now that uh, CM Punk's out, you got to fight. You got to have somebody to fight Seth. Yeah. And Seth is going to wrestle even with that knee. And you know he's going to have to have surgery right after Mm -hmm. that's over with. And I was. I, I think Gunther's going over for sure, which now we're back to the same problem we have with the U.S. title. Mm hmm. If Gunther is the world champion and probably is ready for it and deserves it, yeah. who now is going to be the intercontinental champion and how will that affect how people look at that title? You know what you do? You hang that You hang that title on? Jey Uso. Yeah, I could go for that. I think you put that on Jey Uso. You don't put it on Drew because Drew's too big of a star. Drew should be in the world title picture. Right, yeah. But yeah, Jay, I think that that would be because what has the Intercontinental title always been? The stepping stone for the guy that's getting ready to take right. that next big step. Mm-hmm. I would never put any title on a part timer. No. And you put it on a part timer internet guy who's very good in the ring, but who should not be the champion. Yeah. I, I so agree. are we done with the Women's Royal Rumble already? Yeah, yeah, huh? Bailey won. Good deal. Okay, boom. Next. <laughs> I had a couple observations about that. Oh, well, go right ahead, sir. (laughs) I mean, we could move right on, but... um, Okay, i tell you what. Let me me give you my my first impression, and then we'll talk about the spot we disagreed on. Okay, sure. So the first thing is, as soon as I saw Nia Jax come out there, I'm like, she better not win this freaking thing. She was disguised as a Because the rock's on the freaking board. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the funniest things Jim Cornette's ever said. It's like being out there wrestling on a sofa. <laughs> but when she came out, mm-hmm. she definitely has a place. She could be an attraction on the women's side. Yeah. But to bring her out and feature her so strongly when she should never be the person in a title picture, which they're just setting up her and Becky for yeah. WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But when she started just tossing people out, I'm like, they better not have her go over. Yeah. If this is the rock effect from him being on the board, they need to get rid of that. But yeah. Fortunately, um, she was great as the very heavy person that um, Jade Cargill picked up and threw oh, over the rope. Yeah, uh-huh. That was freaking impressive. I tell you what, when Jade was in AEW, I did see a few of her matches. She is an exceptional athlete. Yeah. She is, wow. Probably still pretty green, but I think that, mm-hmm. you know, she's got the right teachers now. Yeah. And isn't Michaels doing a lot of the teaching down there in mm-hmm. NXT? I'm not crazy about his creative on the NXT show, but how could you get a better trainer than Shawn Michaels? Right. He's one of the greatest that ever did it. Mm-hmm. And then, so at one point, and I'll let you give your impressions of it, other than to say Michael Cole really annoyed me to the point where I looked up his age. The guy is a month. <laughs> He is a month older than me. He turned 55 in December. I turned 55 in January. Yeah. So Valhalla uh-huh. comes out, who's with the Viking Raiders and always wears the Viking stuff. In real life, her and her husband want to have, really are into the Viking stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she comes out wearing the antlers. Yeah. And Michael Cole's going, Oh, look, look, she's got the antlers. She's got the antlers on. You know what that means. She's going far. She might win it. She might win. And I forget who he's talking. He's got Corey Graves on one side and Pat McAfee on the other. Yeah. And Pat McAfee's probably sitting there thinking, I left my podcast in the NFL to come do this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What? 25-year-old guy. I cannot see Trey or Caleb. Uh-huh. Making such a big deal of her wearing an antler headset out. Right. And Michael Cole, who is fit in his 50s. Do grown people even talk like that ever? No. Damn, that was annoying. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. That was also the part where our truth comes out. Yes. So what is your thoughts on that? Um, You know, our truth has always kind of been... A laughing stock or the butt of the jokes in WWE. So to feel that he got confused <laughs> as it was and tried to run out during the women's Royal Room, you know, for a quick haha, that's funny. Okay, did it add anything to the show? No. Did it? In fact, it distracted Valhalla and she got her rear end tossed out in five seconds. Did I appreciate that? No. But did it did it give me a, you know, ha ha. Yeah, it did. But did it add anything to the show that would have made me watch it and turn it on? No. So. To quote the men on film, hated it. it. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing. And, um. Maybe it's me, you know. If our truth was confused about whether the women's or men's battle royal was going on at the time, he's probably taking one too many chair shots. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will have to say that I think out of all the costumes that the female wrestlers wore that night um, that I was awake for, I still think Natalia looked the best. Yeah, she's... uh, Underrated in many ways. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
she came out. She had the the heart foundation colors on the pink and the black. And I always like Natalia. I think she's a, a very good wrestler. She trains most of the women. Yeah, because she's so good, knows what she's supposed to be doing. And but when they bring her out, they kind of put her in squash matches. Yeah, they beat her like a drum. And I'm like, what the hell? Or what the heck? What are you doing this for? You know, but yeah, yeah. they beat her like a drum. Yeah, that was well, heck. Until Bailey won, what she hadn't won a match in about a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Bailey won. They did the right thing there. Yeah. But why is she wrestling Rhea? She should be wrestling Io Sky. That's what I think. I think that she, the WWE is making a opportunity to, to turn her back to the face. Right. Because and, she's very popular and dismantled. Well, she was getting cheers. Uh, yes. She's very popular. And get her out of that damage control. Yes. I mean, because now you got the Kabuki Warriors in there who, I don't get me wrong, I love Asuka. Yes. I think Asuka is, is great. Outstanding. Carrie Sane's okay. Yeah. Um, I think Dakota Kai is pretty talented. But mm-hmm. let's face it, Bailey needs to be out of that group. Yeah. Asuka would probably be better off on her own. Uh huh. Um, was Logan Paul next, or was it... Uh... It was Logan Paul and Kevin Owens for the U.S. title. Oh, okay. So, after that, we had Roman Reigns take on the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, did you, you want to say anything about Logan Paul? Uh, I can't stand him. So, And I, I wish that, you know... And I know it's all fixed. It's all predetermined. I, th- I think I went up to organize the sock drawer at that point in time. Okay. I don't remember what was going on. Well, I mean, you know, um, they tried to slide the brass knucks to to Logan Paul. Kevin Owens intercepted him. And I think he hit Logan Paul about three times with brass knucks. And then the referee went, oh, disqualified. He hit him how many times with brass knucks? About three times. All right, well, I don't know what I was doing at that time, probably fast-forwarding through this match, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, I didn't believe they were going to switch the title. Not yet. No, uh uh-uh. And Logan Paul is very good, but to me, he and Kevin Owens go together like peanut butter and gin. Yes. I don't think that's the greatest combination we've Mm -hmm. ever seen. So, moving on. And the head of the table. The Tribal Chief and the Bum of the Muffins Club times three. He was taking on L.A. Knight, Randy Orton, and A.J. Styles, who are probably three of the best wrestlers in all of the world wrestling entertainment. However, I knew there was no way on earth he's losing the belt before he either drops it to Cody or wrestles The Rock. Yeah. So... We already know the outcome of this match. Right. It's pretty anticlimactic. They, they put on a decent match. It was uh, worth the time and effort to invest in it. And, of course, Roman Reigns emerged victorious after well, interference again from Solo Sokoa. Now, I, I will say one thing about the match is I didn't watch the match so much to see Roman wrestle. <clears throat> I watched it to watch AJ Styles. Because, and that's where, you know, me and you kind of differ. You think Seth Rollins is the better wrestler. I do. uh, Over AJ Styles, and I think AJ Styles is a better wrestler. But Seth is definitely a better showman. Right. 
a better maybe honker. Seth is a better star. Yeah, Seth is the better star, but I tell you what. Or the bigger star, I guess I should yeah. say. I have nothing against AJ. I think he's one of the most talented wrestlers. And mm-hmm. he normally has a good match with whoever he's in with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One of the only things that I enjoyed out of that one WrestleMania 2020 mm-hmm. was when AJ Styles had the uh, bone, was it Boneyard match? What were it? Oh yeah, yeah, it was with, the yeah with the the taker. Yeah, now the fantastical they had the next night with Bray Wyatt and John Cena. They could have thrown that in the trash. Can. Yeah, they could have. But uh, that was, and if Undertaker could have done that for a few more years, they could have got a couple more years. Oh yeah, doing that stuff. But um, AJ always had a good match with everybody, so I yeah. can't I can't fault AJ. Mm-hmm. Um, La Knight is fine to me. I am not in love with him like everybody else is. You know, I don't, I don't see it. I, I just can't. I don't know what people see in him, Ken. That that made it such an organic, you know, yeah, thing. I just, I mean, he's fine. I didn't have anything against him when he was L.A. or Eli Drake. I don't have anything yeah. against him when he was L.A. Knight and um, NXT. He's uh-huh. fine. I mean, he's technically sound in the ring and. He can talk a mite, but, you know, it's just like, I don't see what all of the furor is over him, though. Right. And, like and he, Randy Orton's Randy Orton. Randy Orton's one of the greatest wrestlers of this generation. What? Who? It would have been nice if I would have thought he had an actual chance to beat. <laughs> yeah. But I know he, nobody's going to beat Roman right now, so. Yeah. Until he has those matches, so it's like, well, if you like a decent, hard-hitting wrestling match, you'll probably like this. Yeah, um, I'm getting tired of the interference. The interference with the bloodline uh-huh. is starting to reach NWO levels. Yeah, you're always sitting there waiting. Okay, when's Jimmy Uso going to pop out? When's Solo going to pop out? Yeah, it's getting to be a little much because Roman, when he was on top, yeah, Jay Uso would come out and interfere sometimes, and sometimes he wouldn't. Yeah, Roman would just beat him himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got one question for you. What the hell does yeet mean? I have no idea. Okay, well, I'm just saying Jay Uso and ask Caleb. Oh, no. asking me. I, 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 well, well because well because you're a you're a Jay Uso fan. I thought you yeah, might... but I don't know what yeet means. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was a Sting fan too. What woo mean? I don't know. <laughs> okay, anyway, so and half the stuff that came out of Roddy Piper's mouth you couldn't always put together with. Oh well, the, yeah. And Roddy was my favorite in the 80s because he was always feuding with Hogan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to come to the end of the night, the men's Royal Rumble match, and the big build-up to Will Cody do it again. Mm-hmm. And the match starts out with Jey Uso number one and Jimmy, Jimmy Uso number two. Mm-hmm. And they put on it. Entertaining two minutes. They sure did. Until everybody else started coming out there and getting involved. And mm-hmm. um, I'm going to. Jay s- is kind of losing a little bit being on Raw away from the rest of the bloodline. Yeah. I think he would have been better off feuding with his family over on SmackDown. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, he's starting to become one of the guys in Raw, and that's not what you want. Right. You want him to stand out. Yeah. Um, 
And that's going to be hard when Cody's the biggest star on Raw and they're trying to build him to be world champion. Right. So that's not going to be an easy. But it's even worse with the way they've been using him lately. Yeah, and I'm thinking about who's the who's the biggest, you know, male star on SmackDown right now. Roman. I know that, but I'm talking about faces. Oh, faces. Probably Randy. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it might you might want to bring Jay over there. And he yeah. Can be, he can be your number one man. Yep. So, but yeah, I just uh, it. The, so, what was your most memorable moment of that men's Royal Rumble this year? Most memorable. Well. There weren't too many, were there? No, there wasn't. <laughs> there were more memorable spots in the Women's Royal Rumble this year uh-huh. than the men's because it was I, just kind of building to, is Cody going to win it again, yeah. or are they going to have somebody else sneak in there? I guess the fact that Gunther was in there clearing house for so long. That, that was impressive. Yeah. And you could tell they there's starting to really get behind him and see big things in him. Yeah. Because he did definitely get star treatment. Towards the end there, I actually thought, are they going to let Gunther go over? I'm well, that's what I was thinking. I was kind of hoping. I was kind of getting the woo But uh, I'll tell you what did not make sense to me. I wish they'd let him go back to being Walter, that yeah. Gunther or Walter. He says it the German way. Yeah. The thing that did not make sense to me is they brought in somebody that hasn't been relevant in wrestling now for a little bit. And they brought him in number 30. And he lasted all of... What? Four or five minutes, maybe? Probably, but I'm stretching my mind to see who you're talking about now. That's how much of an impression that match made on me. It was Sami Zayn. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Sammy was number 30, and he didn't last very long. No, and that's why I'm saying, why why even bring him out there? Really, it would have made a lot more sense for him to come out when Jay was out there. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the, uh... Yeah, I'm not the booker, and I probably do just as bad a job as Tony Khan, because I don't have any experience doing it either. But you want to know something, Ken? I was thinking about it the other day, actually. I think if me and you sat down with the AEW book, and first of all, chopped about that's half the roster. Say, the first thing we, we would need to do is get rid of half the roster because that company needs to be profitable. Yes. And we need a manageable roster to book. Uh-huh. WWE has too few wrestlers. AEW has about ten times too many. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I was thinking, me and you could probably, if we trimmed that roster by half, me and you could probably book matches for AEW that would be good storylines and make sense. And maybe actually, you know, get fans. We might be going a little stretch saying make sense, but... Well... I think we could do better than... uh, 
maybe well maybe I'm talking on my hat but I was gonna say I think we could do better than uh, what they're doing now based on the fact that we you and I have already done better on the football announcing and the oh yeah fantasy football analysis than the clowns we were following oh yeah uh-huh Greg Olson and what other idiot I don't have anything that looks that ridiculous in my closet well, no. But if we're booking, we're behind the scenes. We're not doing anything anyway other than booking the match. Exactly. And I tell you, but like I said, you know, the, the thing that's what I, my one of my biggest gripes about EAW is... Can I take a, on the role of a manager for one minute? Sure, go ahead. So the other thing I would do was I would go out there and tell Caliber, the next time I turn on the announcing, and it sounds like you're having a number of mini strokes out here when you're trying to say these stupid names that nobody else on earth knows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it was called in Japan. Yes. Call it by a name that somebody around here might actually know. Right. And do it like an announcer instead of like you're uh, being beaten in the middle of this. Yeah, not the, oh, this is the uh, OK Noah Sopatea. Yeah. Five fifty six thirty four two splash. Yeah. What? <laughs> they did that in the Tokyo Dome in twenty thirteen. Well, that's great, but this is freaking America in twenty twenty four. Did that? How many fans do you think? And this is a smart audience. Uh, how many fans in this audience do you think watch that show? Right. Yeah. Exactly. None. Well, it was like you know, um, old Ray Mysterio in that. Six four nine kick and his. That's a, what that's a, can can we call it? What it is? Do we have to start doing Steiner math to call these matches? I guess so because I mean, it, it's a it's a kick through the ropes. Yes. Well, now I tell you what. Now, um, rumor has it that they're going to be bringing in um, Rick Steiner's kid, Bronson. Bronson Rickstein. Uh, known as Braun Breaker. In that Bron that's it, Braun Breaker. Why uh, would you name Rick Steiner's kid Braun Breaker? Why would you not call him Braun Steiner? Exactly. You don't think wrestling fans know who the hell the Steiner brothers are? Right. They wrestled for your crappy company a couple times. Right. You know, Braun Breaker, I think he's, now this is just rumor, that they're going to try and bring him in to fill the void left by another rather large individual who was caught up in uh, this uh, scandal. What? Oh, I did. They were going to bring him back, weren't they? Mm-hmm. That might be off the table again. Well, because he's not. And he, I got to take that back. I, I think Paul Levesque is doing a much better job than Vince. Oh yeah. And I just call it his crappy company. Yeah. I've got to change that. You're somewhat crappy company. Right. So, I mean, I would be excited to see... a really crappy chief executive, and you can take that any freaking way you like it. I would be excited to see... See, now I'm getting irritated again. <laughs> I would love to see Braun Breaker make it up to the main roster and make a big I, splash. I just, could, could you imagine how many years this young lady's going to have nightmares over the way she was treated She's going to need therapy, Ken. Yeah. Well, I needed therapy after reading it. I know, right? I can't even imagine living it. I'm starting to get grumpy again. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, what were we talking about anyway? I mean, we were just talking about the Royal Rumble. And left me a little flat this year. Yeah, it did. It left me flat, too. It's, I was it's the first show. It made sense. So that's a big change from Vince. 
Mm-hmm. But this is the first show and kind of, if you want to call it the Paul uh, Levesque regime, and I'm even talking about that few months where Vince was displaced. Yeah. Then it sucked again for a while. Yeah. But since Triple H has been back in charge of the creative since they sold to Endeavor, this is the first show I found. I was like, man, it's just kind of fun. It gave us what we were all expecting, with the exception I thought they were going to maybe take the belt off Logan Paul. Yeah. But then after I thought about it, I'm like, no, they're not going to do that to WrestleMania, which is why I didn't even watch it. Right. Because I'm like, they're not going to take that off of him now. They'll have to do something screwy yeah. to set up the WrestleMania match. Yeah, I was... Uh, I was so you got everything you expected. Roman won, Logan Paul won, Bailey won, and Cody won. You know, I was I was kind of expecting... Well, everybody knew Cody was going to win again. I pretty much thought that it was the way it was going to go down. The CM Punk thing did throw a little bit of mystery in there. Yeah. Would they have him win and go up against uh He would have went up against Seth. Seth. And then have... Uh, Nick Aldis come out and say, well, Cody, it doesn't matter because you're still going to get the rematch with Roman yeah. after what they pulled on you last year. Yeah. You still could have done it, but I think it makes sense to have him, and particularly now that Punk tore his triceps and will be out, tore his tricep and will be out of... Yeah. Well, no, it's triceps. There's three heads to it. Yeah. He'll be out for WrestleMania, so it's yeah. really good that they kept it with Cody. Um, and for crying out loud, if Cody doesn't win this time, Paul Levesque was going to need counseling. Let me let me ask. He's got to lose eventually. And if he doesn't lose to Cody, yeah, who's he going to lose to? Joe, the dog face boy. I tell you what, there's nobody else to. Um. Apparently, CM Punk has drawn some, and I don't know if it's kayfabe heat or if it's real heat with Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre. I'm not sure about Drew. Mm-hmm. I got the feeling from that Seth interview that that the old term they used to use, they were ripping on the square. Uh-huh. They're saying what they truly believe. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they hate each other, but they're going to work and make money. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Unlike the uh, goofballs at the other company who couldn't see the money that could be made out of that. These guys really don't like each other, but they're going to work it to make a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And making a lot of money together puts salve on a lot of wounds. Oh, yes, it will. But I just thought that um, it was kind yeah. of interesting. that I'm not sure about Drew. I got the feeling from Seth and Punk. If if they're working, they're doing a very good job of it because it mm-hmm. seems like they really don't care for each other. Yeah, and you know, because uh, you know Seth telling him you can't. This is not your home. Yeah, and and all that. And that you degraded it and everything uh-huh. else, and now you're back. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and but that's why I told you. That's why I think Seth is very underrated. Oh and yeah, he's very very talented. You know what? He doesn't care. You know why? He's married to the man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that's given a lot of people fodder to take shots at him. Well, you're not even the biggest star in your own household. Yeah. <laughs> um, but And hopefully he and Becky are strong enough that that kind of stuff won't affect them. Oh, I think they are. They seem to be very much uh, a, a very strong couple. Yeah, I hope so. Unless he... Uh, 
unless he starts asking for videos of... I would hope he wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, but, you know, I've seen a lot of people do a lot stupider stuff. Mm-hmm. They have a woman that you're like, how on earth did they ever score her? She's smart. She's pretty, you know. And they treat them like crap, and eventually she gets tired of them, and she leaves them. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what you were thinking. You're never going to do that again. I don't know how you did that the first time. Well, let's let's break it down. Macho Man Randy Savage was the butt-ugliest men in wrestling. And convinced it, Elizabeth to marry him. Yes! And then, <laughs> through jealousy, ran her off. Yes, uh-huh. And then had Trailer Park Gorgeous George thing. She was married to some hard rock guy or something for a while. Was she? Well, she was straight out the trailer. There's a song about that, ain't there? I think so. Hey, did you hear about the newest single, Top in the Charts? Mm. It May Be You by Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriends. Uh-huh. I tell you, I can, I can, you know, God, I'm, I'm, I want to I, I do feel pretty safe. Caleb told me, Dad, whatever you do, do not piss off the Swifties. They are, st-. but I told him, I said, Caleb, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I doubt that there's any Swifties <laughs> listening to our podcast. Right. I'm just going to take that leap and say I don't think that that's happening. Well, it's like I said, you know, I'm... And I have nothing against her, and if her and Travis are healthy are happy, I wish them all the best. Mm-hmm. My only concern from day one was do not screw up our tight end. Right, exactly. And that's why I'm saying, you know, I'm... I don't even know if I want to watch the Super Bowl this year because every time... The Chiefs do something. You know what annoys me? We're going to get a reaction shot. Yes, that's what annoys me. Yeah. Every time Patrick Mahomes does something fantastic, did they take a go over and get a shot of Brittany Mahomes and see how she's reacted to that? No. No. Well, I mean, let's, you know, okay, I realize that Simone Biles is probably not. When uh, the Dallas Cowboys do, do something great. Mm-hmm. Do they go to the mental home and get reaction shots from all of their loved ones to see how they did that? No. no. They, they don't put a camera over there and because if you're a Cowboys fan or married to a Cowboys person, if you're not in a home, you probably should be. Right, exactly. But um, I'll say something nice about the Cowboys. I hate the Rams even more. Yeah. And I'll say something nice about Jerry Jones. I hate Stan Kroenke even more. Uh, you know what? Hmm. I don't know about that. I'm just going to say I think Vince has displaced Stan Kroenke on my list. Oh. But I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that uh, Vince is probably one of the most vilified people. Rightly so. On. Let's face it. Stan Kroenke's only vilified for one reason. He turned his back on his state and moved his team from uh, St. Louis, Missouri to Los Angeles, California, for a mm-hmm. lot of money. So, well, Stan Kroenke can walk east till his hat floats, for all I care. Yeah. I'm never. It, there'll never be peace in uh, our day. I have no interest uh, in whether the guy does great, does poorly, whatever. I just, yeah. I'll never have any use for him for moving the team and doing what he did to St. Louis. 
You are a traitor as far as I'm concerned and always will be. Oh, yeah. You know what? Vince has displaced him because the things Vince has done are far more disgusting than what... Yeah. I guess we should keep saying allegedly because it hasn't been adjudicated in court yet. Oh, and and you know, uh, Vince put out that statement that all those... All those allegations are fake. They're no, are false. They're, I'm sorry. And I'm like, dude, you. She's got some pretty stout evidence there, dude. All of those text messages, right? All of the, yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're all fake, she is the greatest con artist that's ever lived, and I just don't buy that. Yeah. No, I think it's just Vince has bluffed and blustered his way out of stuff. His whole life, and I think he thinks he's going to do it again. You know, he's been doing well. Like I said, I am getting grumpy. I'm talking about Stan Kroenke and Vince McMahon in the same project. <laughs> yeah, you are getting grumpy. Well, I said let's get it all out in this episode. Yes. And we'll, we'll, we can go back to being happy in the next one. There you go. Any other depressing wrestling topics we need to talk about? Um, I tell you what, one thing uh, that did surprise me in the Women's Royal Rumble match. Liv Morgan came back. Yeah, she did. Uh, she lasted about as long as a, a, a fart in the wind, but, you know, at least she's back. The only thing about Liv Morgan, I think, uh, get a great look. Uh, mm-hmm. She's just so small. Yeah, she is. It's she, the same mm-hmm. thing with Alexa Bliss. It's a little hard to take them seriously against mm-hmm. some of the bigger... Against certain girls, they'd be fine. But against like a Nia Jax or a Rhea, it's hard yeah. to take them. It was hard, very hard to take Liv Morgan seriously going up against Ronda Rousey. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this poor girl's going to get killed. Yeah. No, so but I, I was uh, uh, kind of maybe glad that she got over her uh, marijuana convictions or court case or whatever okay. it was. Who on earth gets arrested for marijuana anymore? I don't know. Because it's... Isn't was that it, in Florida? It was in California. There is no way she got arrested for weed in California. Go figure. There's no way. Uh-huh. Look it up. I'm pretty sure it was California. Now you're making me Google. <laughs> I'm really getting grumpy. Uh-oh. Well, this might make you a little less grumpy. You know that... Um, a lot of stores are taking out shelf checkouts now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I guess enough people said, we ain't working in your rotten old stores, so. Yeah. Arrested during Florida traffic stop. Oh, okay, it was Florida. I thought it was California. Well, how do you get arrested for weed in Florida? I don't know, but I, I could see that more than California. Yeah. You'd be lucky that the officer that pulled you over wasn't smoking one before he stopped you. Well, you know, when I was down in Florida last time, I had a guy come up to me and said, Hey, hey, you want to buy some Coke? I was like, No, officer, I sure don't. <laughs> Did I just besmirch California? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I've besmirched the whole country of France again during our thing. So I almost went political there for a second. Ah. On Florida. Yeah. You know... I used to think, and don't get me wrong, I like Florida as a state. The top half. Yeah. 
I, I enjoyed my time in Orlando. And I tell you what, when you go to Florida, if you like oranges, you're laughing. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I tell you what, uh, that big-ass orange that's the the visitor center there, it used to give you free orange juice. I don't know if it still does or uh, not. The last time I was there, they did. Did they? Yeah. Well, that was a while ago, but yeah, they still did. That was good stuff. Yeah. yeah like I said, if you like oranges, you're laughing down there. Mm-hmm. They get some good oranges. You know what I didn't like about it? What's that? And I went in November. Oh, that was the most amazing vacation. We swam in the ocean in the first week of November. Yeah. Amazing. But we went in August one year because Caleb had a competition. Ugh. And every day between 1 and 3, it would rain for like 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And then the steam would just rise up off the asphalt because it was so humid. Yep. I'm like, I could be down here in the fall or the winter, and the but spring and summer, I'd have to be somewhere else. Yeah. I couldn't handle that. And, yeah, I tell you, I... Two times I've been to Florida. One was in... Now, I tell you what was a giggle. What's that? Doing New Orleans in July. Yeah, that that would be about as fun as Florida in August. They're, they're more humid than Florida is, isn't it? Yes. Because I tell you what, and when we... Uh, I was down there with an associate of mine. We were down there for four days. Three of the days, they broke heat records. Wow. It was the hottest that it had ever been. So when you walked outside, it was like somebody... So your timing was outstanding. Yeah. And it was like somebody threw a wet blanket over your head when you walked out. Oh, man. And then trying to breathe in that. Yeah, St. Louis in August where you can go out and cut a piece of air. Yeah, uh-huh. And now on the uh, the other end of that, me and the same associate had been to uh, Marquette, Michigan for four days. And two of the days we were up there, now we was up there in August, two of the days we were up there, coldest days they've ever had in August. <laughs> Whoever this associate is, you need to quit traveling with them because you got bad timing. Well, I don't anymore. So it's <laughs> There you go. Good thing you did that. Uh, I tell you what now, this is not, and this was my fault, Vegas. It's in the desert. May, first week of May, you'd think there's no way you get cold in the... Uh, well, I was about to say, doesn't it get cold at night in the desert? I'll tell you what, when we were, where we was at, uh, staying at downtown on Fremont Street, watching people zip line and just having a good time, those winds kicked up out in that desert and blew in down that street. I had to walk down to the Harley Davidson store, which was down in that block, and buy a pair of jeans to put on because all I had was shorts with me. Well, you know, Ultimate Fighter used to be shot in Vegas all the time. Uh huh. Because that's where the company was based out of. Yeah. And those guys would be outside at night, they'd all be bundled up. Oh, yeah. It gets cold at night in the desert. I did not really. It'd be hot during the day, but it gets cold at night. I, I think did. there's a big swing of temperatures in the night and day. I tell I'm you. Strictly speaking, based on what I saw on that show, because I've never been to Las Vegas. Well, I'll tell you what. I ain't lost anything there, so I didn't see a need to. You know, and that's how I feel about New York. The but... only thing I'd like to see in New York is the Theodore Roosevelt Association, which was his childhood home. Yeah. And, um,. I'd love to see Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you know it's very—it's not very big. 
It's kind of like it's kind of like Lambeau Field. You know, when we flew into Green Bay. I was expecting to see this because, like, when we flew into Phoenix, you see this huge Tempe Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play at. Huge, beautiful thing. We flew into Green Bay. It's like that's Lambeau Field. That's got to be the practice field, right? Where where's Lambeau? It's tiny. Yeah. Uh, so and you know, it, you brought that up, and this actually has a, a wrestling connection to it. I have not seen Keel since it has been renovated, the auditorium side. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Um, but you know, I think the thing was built in the twenties. Yeah. So much historic stuff that went there. But when my sister and I went to the wrestling matches, it held about 9,000 people. Mm-hmm. First thing I thought of when I went in there is, what a dump. Because yeah. it wasn't that it was... It was maintained, but I don't think it was maintained at the level it had once had been. Yeah. And the other thing about that was, so I was 12, Vic's 27. She's uh-huh. 15 years older than me. So the first time I went in there, I was 81. I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. No, I went in there before that because Ken Sr. took me to the match before him and mom got divorced, or when they were in the process of getting divorced. Because mm-hmm. my very first match I saw with him. Uh-huh. And then I didn't go for a year and a half till Vicky took me. Yeah. And you go in there, well, that was when people could still smoke wherever the heck they wanted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you can barely see the ring after about the first or second match. Right. And Vicky was a smoker, so she's smoking too. And it was by the late 80s, early 90s, because, you know, Vince, like, say, I took it out of smoke-filled arenas. No, you didn't. Yeah, nah. Uh, they started outlawing smoking in the buildings and stuff in mm-hmm. the 80s. And by the early 90s, it was banned pretty much everywhere yeah. inside. You couldn't smoke inside anymore. And I remember forgetting about that until I saw one of the films from the 50s. And something similar happened in the 20s as well here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But in the 50s in Chicago, smoking is still legal in the building. But I guess they were smoking so much, the wrestlers were having trouble breathing, the referee was having trouble breathing. And the guy announces, please remain, refrain from smoking. Now, they really couldn't enforce it because there's no laws for it. But he said, please refrain from smoking for the remainder of the card. <laughs> I guess they- Everybody was choking. But that really happened in 1920s or 1930s in St. Louis. Uh-huh. It was an Ed Strangler-Lewis match. I don't think it was the one where he shot on Man Mountain Dean. and I think it was a different match. Uh-huh. And they were smoking so much that the regular official, his name was Fred... It's like Fred Kohlerman or something like that. He was the referee after George Baptiste. Yeah. And he's... <laughs> hanging on the rope his eyes watered he could barely see what's going on because the smoke is so bad well they said Lewis and the other guy were down on the ground wrestling yeah so it wasn't too bad, bad for down there, yeah. and apparently Lewis said damn it Fred get down here with us and you wouldn't be choking so bad but that's how bad the smoking was back in those days oh man you know, um, getting back to wrestling. But what would quick, tick oh. me off at Keel, the other thing, we had floor seats. Uh huh. Yeah. And like I said, I'm 12. I'm probably five foot tall. Right. And we're about eight to nine 
seats back, you know, uh-huh. rows back. Yeah. Well, when they get down on the floor, all the idiots in front of us stand on their chairs. And you can't see nothing. <laughs> and everybody's yelling, sit down, morons, we can't <laughs> see. <laughs> Civility went out the window pretty quick when that <laughs> stuff was going on. I'm 12. I could stand on the chair. I still couldn't see over the top of them. <laughs> Because Vicky would say, stand on the chair and tell me what you see. I'm like, Vicky, I can't see. See the back of people's heads. Yeah. (laughs) She'd be like, sit down, you morons. And she'd be joined by everybody that was back there with us. Oh, gosh. If you think people were mad when I was calling bogus. Yeah. Imagine what the first five or six rows look like when the back five or six rows are yelling, sit down, morons. (laughs) (laughs) Getting back to wrestling, though, real quick. Um, yeah, this is a wrestling podcast. I guess we should cover it. Well, it's just that. Do you think this is? And this is just questions I've. Do you think that some of the tag teams of the seventies and eighties would hold up today? I don't know, because the style of wrestling is so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, Midnight Express probably could, although they would be probably considered kind of pedestrian compared to some of the way these guys jump around. Um, Rock and Roll Express. Rock and Roll Express is one I don't know. Mm -hmm. They were so popular with the teeny boppers. Would, you know, teenage girls and, you know, young girls in their 20s, yeah. Would they find a couple of kind of out of shape guys with bandanas tied all over them? Yeah. As attractive as they didn't. You know, 80s is when people were starting to get into shape and you had the fitness grade. Yeah. And you started seeing better bodies. Would their lack of. I mean, Robert Gibson had a little bit of muscle. Ricky mm. Morton, if he had them, they were well hidden. They had chicken wings. Yeah. Um,. Would they have gotten over? I, I don't know. Um, well, there was one in particular that... Road Warriors would still stand up. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the Midnights, maybe the Fantastics, because they had enough athleticism. They might have... Yeah. But I don't know how many of the classic tag teams would have... Well, let me throw this one at you. It's a couple of Samoan guys. Fat Two and Samu. The Samoan SWAT team. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think they would have been over today like... I just don't think so. I don't think they had good enough bodies. Uh, well, I mean, you know... Who I think would have gotten over, even though they didn't have great bodies, was the original Samoans. Uh, oh, yeah. I think Afensika would have got over at any time. I was just wondering... I was watching... Well, I mean, Fat too. You know, he went out and he... Gained 150 pounds and wears a diaper now. Right, and he got over that way. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think the Simone SWAT team would have carried over. Really, and that's a shame because I tell you what, watching those guys, they were fun to watch. No, I'm not saying they were a bad tag team. I thought they were a very good tag team, but mm-hmm. they were doing a style of wrestling that we would find entertaining. I'm not sure about today's fans. Yeah. And, I mean, what do today's fans like? AEW fans tend to like a lot of action, a lot of movement, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't always make sense and nobody sells anything. Yeah. 
WWE is like, get that wrestling off so we can hear these guys talk again. Yeah. <laughs> There's so a... little wrestling on the wrestling show. We're going to have a three-hour show and two matches. <laughs> yeah, two matches and an hour and 45 minutes of discussions. I was just... And do you think if we were kids mm-hmm. and those were the two choices we had, would we have been wrestling fans? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I don't think so. Because Unless you had a Bobby and a Gorilla to kill us. Because let's face it, the wrestling on primetime was terrible. But you watched it to see the interplay between Gorilla and Bobby. I tell you what. Without that, I don't think they would have done anything. Gorilla made Bobby break character the other day. I was watching. <laughs> he was talking about one of the hotels. And uh, Bobby said, oh, yeah, he says, I, I stay there all the time. I got my own wing there. And Gorilla said, oh, really? He said, we got hot and cold running rats. Yeah, and, and Bobby goes, busted up and couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hold it. Because usually it was always the other way around. Yeah. Bobby was always breaking Gorilla, making uh-huh. Gorilla break character. <laughs> yeah, but I remember that one because Bobby just couldn't hold it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then he's trying to get back around to you know you know Monsoon you insult me and that but he had been laughing so hard uh, he just couldn't get there. Uh, I tell you what, those two it was that was I probably never would have liked WWF if it wasn't for the two of them. Yeah, they, they made me able to stomach it. No, I tell you what, you know where I watched my my first wrestling actually what I cut my teeth on was on. KDNL, Channel 30, WCCW Wrestling out of yeah. Texas. World Class was after Wrestling Into Chase. And we got World Class, actually, before we got Wrestling Into Chase. Yeah. Let's end the show on that because I was thinking about that the okay. other day. And it was how the St. Louis Wrestling War and then the aftermath and all of that uh-huh. affected wrestling here. Okay. So I know that we had World Class towards the end of 82 and 83 here for sure. Mm-hmm. Because I remember those angles at the end of 82 with the Freebirds. Yeah. And I remember all of the Freebird stuff from 83. So we had World Class here at, at the very latest in 82. Right. And we had it before Wrestling at the Chase went off the air. Yeah. So on Sunday morning, because initially the only wrestling show you had in St. Louis, we did not get cable television in St. Louis uh, until 1986. So we could see Georgia Championship Wrestling in Cape as early as 1979. Yeah. But we couldn't see it here until 1986. Oh, by the way, Georgia Championship Wrestling was gone by then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But getting back to our tale here. So because the Von Erichs were so over <laughs> in St. Louis and because <clears throat> they used the Von Erichs a lot on St. Louis cards, mm-hmm. we got world class. Yeah. Along with... Wrestling at the Chase, which uh-huh. at that time was O'Connor, Geigel, Race. Yeah. Larry Matisic had left by 82. Yeah. And he started an outlaw promotion, so yes. they say, because it was not NWA. Mm-hmm. He got lots of independent talent. That's the first time I saw Randy Macho Man Savage yeah. live was at a Larry Matisic card in 82. Oh, okay. Because I went and I saw two or three of the cards. Uh-huh. What doomed Madison, if Madison could have ran Keel Auditorium, he might have been able to survive. Or a smaller venue like that. Oh, uh-huh. Because yeah. there's smaller gyms now. Uh, what's the one over at SLU? Chaffetz. 
he might have been able to run Chaffetz mm-hmm. if that had existed at the time, which it didn't. Yeah. Well, that's where the AEW did their last show. At. Yeah. But he he instead he had to have the checkered on with set twenty thousand, and they're just they he could not even come close to filling half of that. No. Uh-uh. They had a big curtain up down the middle of it. Yeah. And he still maybe half capacity on that half, so he's drawn five thousand fans. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but it was closer to St. Louis wrestling than the stuff Geigel was trying to, which was his central state stuff, which was terrible. Oh, God, yes. So in 1983, similar to what happens in Georgia, we have our Black Saturday, only it was on Sunday morning. Yeah. Vince McMahon is explaining, wrestling at the Chase is now a WWF wrestling program, and you're going to get all the great stars from the WWF. Mm-hmm. And that lasted, because they even did a few shows out of the Chase, Park Plaza. Yeah. That lasted for a few months, and then we got the syndicated WWE yeah. show. And that went on at least to the late 80s. Yeah. But because Vince took wrestling at the Chase, by that time Larry Matisic was out of business. Larry Matisic did have a show on KDNL, but it wasn't at the same time as World Class. It was on Saturday. Uh-huh. And that lasted for as long as he was in business, which I don't know was... Eight to 12 months in 82, I guess. I think so, yeah. And so then... No, that wouldn't have been right. Yeah, it would have been probably middle of 82 to the middle of 83. And Larry Matisic is the reason Vince was able to get Rusty in chase, because Larry Matisic was better at those guys that took over from Sam, so he set him up with KPLR, Vince with KPLR. And Vince got that. So to counteract... Wrestling in the Chase now being a WWF program, uh-huh. we were already getting world-class syndicated. Yeah. So, Geigel and O'Connor get KDNL, who was already showing world-class, which was the NWA affiliate, mm-hmm. to give them two hours between 10 and midnight on Saturday. Yeah. And they have the Central States program at 10, which was god-awful. Yes, I, I remember. And then the AWA program, which was... The wrestling wasn't that great because they were losing all their stars to Vince. Yeah. Some of the interviews were still de- decent because they still had Bachwinkle. Yeah. And they had a couple really good young wrestlers uh, with Hennig. But they also got Bruiser Brody for a short time. Yeah. So AWA wasn't that bad when Brody was feuding with Blackwell and that. It was mm-hmm. okay, but... It was not great. Central States was god-awful. Yeah. So now we're up to four hours of television because we don't have cable yet. We've yeah. got four hours of wrestling a week. Well, and uh, there for a while we was getting UWF. Yeah, well, that was next. Ah, okay. So they got on just as part of a syndication deal also on Channel 30. Yeah. But they were not... Bill Watts never sent his talent to St. Louis to wrestle for Geigel and them. Yeah. But Geigel and them didn't oppose Mid-South because they figured it was competition for Vince, one more. So then we had five hours of wrestling. Yeah. You had UWF on Saturday morning. I think that was at 10. Yeah. Then you had 10 and 11 on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So then Jim Crockett Promotions at the end of 1986 by Central States from Bob Geigel. Mm-hmm. So on regular television, you had... Crockett Promotions at 10, AWA at 11, 
World Class at 10 the next morning, mm-hmm. WWF at 11 o'clock, and you've got Mid-South on Saturday morning, but we've got cable in 1986. Yes. So we also got two hours of Saturday night wrestling from Jim Crockett promotion. Mm-hmm. So we now have three hours of Crockett. And I remember those two hours being horrible. And two more hours of WWE because we now got prime time. Prime time, time yes. Which is the thing that actually ended up making me a WWE fan. They also had Tuesday Night Titans on at the time, but you oh, couldn't put yeah. a gun to my head and make me watch that. So we're not counting that as wrestling. That was Vince's dream of making wrestling not look like wrestling yeah. so he could call it sports entertainment. So basically, you got five hours of wrestling you could watch on Saturday, mm-hmm. and you've got uh, three hours on Sunday, and then you got two hours, and it moved for a while. It was Wednesday, then it was Thursday, then it was Monday. It bounced all yeah. over the place. Did they settle on Thursday? I can't remember what they settled on. I don't know, but do you remember? It is very short-lived and. 84-85, I think. On Saturday nights around 11 o'clock, we was getting a show that was hosted by Gordon Soley. But it wasn't like, it wasn't Georgia or Florida or anything like that. I don't remember that one. Now, Soley, Soley could have been doing something with Jim Crockett at the time. Yeah. Like a highlight show. My, that might have been it, but I just remember that's where I... And I remember when we lost UWF in 87, mm-hmm. which we had cable by then, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But I was like, well, that sucks. Um, and it wasn't as good once they rebranded to UWF. Yeah. It was better when it was Mid-South, but yeah, I liked it. That was becoming my favorite show. I liked it a little bit better than World Class, because by that time... Mid-South's booking was a little bit better. World-class, Kerry was hurt. Mm-hmm. You had the Lance Von Erich debacle. Mike oh. Von Erich kills himself. Mm. You got Eric Embry as a big star on World-class before it's over with. I mean, it was yeah. a mess. But that's what we had. Well, But we start losing programs. So yeah. AWA, not too long after that, goes off of the syndicated station... But now they've got an AWA show, which might have been the most boring wrestling program ever created. The one on ESPN? Yes. The interviews weren't oh, yeah. good anymore. And uh, it just, it was not good. No, huh? And it seemed like every week you got Doug Summers and Buddy Rose... Versus Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Or some variation therewith. Yes. It's like, I'm tired of seeing these guys. Yeah. And it was just... And the people around that, that was okay to watch. Yeah. But the other people they had, it was like, where are they finding these guys? Mm -hmm. So pretty soon that went by the wayside. And then in 88... World class goes by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, all you had on television was prime time and the WWF show on Channel Eleven, which is a regular over-the-air channel. Yeah, 
and you still had Crockett at 10 o'clock on Saturday on the syndicated station, but you did not have AWA anymore, and you mm-hmm. still had the two-hour Saturday night show Yeah, um, on TBS. That was their big flagship show yeah. for WCW as it was becoming once Crockett sold it to yeah. Turner. And so that pretty much by 88, 89 at the latest, because sometime in 88 they sold world class. Because it tried yeah. to merge with USWA, yeah. and I think it limped along until 90 or something. But once world class went away, it was pretty much done. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was kind of sad to and see. And we didn't get USWA once they sold world class. USWA was on a cable station. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just, but, you know, that's what I, I remember some of my first matches was uh, WCCW. Yeah. And I thought Texas was a whole other world. Yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely Vicky and my favorite wrestling program after wrestling at the chase went off. Yeah. And then that's when I started, I tell you what, and wrestling at the chase seemed so foreign to me because... I didn't know any of the guys. I'm not seeing Von Erichs and the Freebirds and Iceman King Parsons. And I'm not seeing, I'm seeing people like Radamias and stuff like that. I'm like, you know. Because that was what happened. It took O'Connor Geigel about six months to destroy everything Sam had built over four uh, years. The fans knew as soon as they started trying to promote Bob Brown as a top guy. What? Yeah, the fans turned. He was the gatekeeper. Yes. He and Rufus R. Jones were the line. Yeah. If a fan favorite beat Bulldog Bob Brown or a fa- or a heel beat Rufus, Rufus R. Jones, Jones, they were getting ready to challenge for the Missouri title or world title. Yes. They were the line. Yes. They were the mid card. I was going to say, they were the, the gatekeepers. But Geigel, Bob Brown was one of his friends, and he was going to push him, and didn't Bull, go over very well. Bulldog Bob Brown. So I think we've talked people to death this week. Do you know where we're at right now? Uh, I'm going to say we're at an hour and 20. Uh, two hours and 15 minutes. Almost. Oh, gosh. Okay. Wow, we, <laughs> we done pulled the Jim Cornette. <laughs> with no intentions of doing it. We did about as much prep, but uh, yeah, with no intentions of doing that. <laughs> Well, well, you know the Vince stuff was going to take a little bit to cover. Yeah, and we had a, you know, we we knew that we needed to cover that. So, and now that we've talked about it, we're probably not going to talk about it too much more after this because it's pretty depressing stuff. Yeah, it is. And so we'll be back next week with a actual uh, another history topic, and we'll have more history next time. Unless <laughs> chatting, unless. Trey and Caleb show up. They, they usually have a great way of derailing whatever we thought we were going to talk about. <laughs> I'm sure it sounds like we've got notes and everything else, but no, we're just usually shooting from the hip just about every time we get together. I was going to say, we're, we just we just go with it. Yeah, we've been winging it from way back. So, Well, I think we need to sign off, Dan. So right. I think that sounds like a good plan. We, we thank you for listening. We hope you got both history and commentary out of this and enjoyed them both and we'll see you next time hopefully not nearly this long except if solomon thought i talked a lot that time he was on 
Could you imagine what he'd have thought tonight? Oh, my goodness. He'd been in the floor asleep. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in, listening to us, and letting us be a part of your day. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.